Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. In today's episode, we're going to introduce ourselves and give you an introduction as to why you should start birding yourself. That sounds like masturbating. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode one. We are so excited that you are here today. We have so many birding things to talk about and we're really glad you're here to tune in with us since this is our first episode we want to share a little bit about who we are and why we got into birding so my name is mo and i am a midwesterner living in chicago uh lived in the midwest my whole life and now i live in a super big city working marketing at a tech startup and i grew up in the outdoors i absolutely love being outside i love running i love traveling and moving to chicago was really hard for me because there's not a lot of nature just out my back door here Uh, And I struggled with this for like the first two years I was here. And I started paying attention a little more to my environment recently and noticing that birds are one of the few animals that are totally prevalent around me everywhere I go in the city. Um, And not just pigeons and not just sparrows, but like other cool birds out there. I can hear them and I can see them and I kind of wanted to learn more. And so one day last spring, my husband and I, uh, his name is Sam, we were sitting out on our side porch and we were eating dinner and there were like all these house sparrows like going totally berserk because they live in the ivy of the house next to us. And I was like, oh, listen, this nice, like all these little bird noises, like it's so festive. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this peregrine falcon swoops in and grabs one of them and like flies off into the distance and all the birds just like stop chirping. <laughs> it was like dead silent. And I was like, that was friggin' awesome. And I was totally hooked. And shortly thereafter, I bought some binoculars. And I started going on bird walks uh, every Wednesday with the Chicago Ornithology Society to learn more about the birds. Turns out there were way more birds around me than I ever possibly imagined. And now I've been actively birding for about a year. And I I absolutely love it. Awesome. So I have been birding for about a year as well. Um, we've been friends for about 12 years now. And weirdly enough, we both got super into birding at the same time. Unrelated. We're on the same bird cycle, basically. We're <laughs> in, a, in our decrepit old age of 30, we are getting into the bird cycle. Um, we So I am also a Midwesterner. I live in Michigan. I work uh, in a company that does health consulting. So very scientific, um, not very nature focused. I'm inside a lot on my computer, um, but I have always loved birds as well. My grandma was obsessed with cardinals. I would have to give her a cardinal something every freaking Christmas. And I remember, you know, just being younger and my dad freaking out about seeing hawk tracks in the backyard. And I had always had a really strong love for birds of prey. And I don't think I came to appreciate some of the smaller uh, birds that are the prey birds, essentially, um, in my neighborhood. And so I've really gotten into trying to identify those smaller birds and appreciating them a lot more. Um, I always forget my binoculars when I go out, so I have been doing a lot of squinting um, as we have several ponds near our house. And we get herons, we get blue herons, gray herons, um, Canada geese. A bunch of different birds that come in and use these ponds when they're migrating so it's super cool to see but that's why I got into birding um, and it's some way for me to easily connect with nature and I'm also very conscientious of my impact on the environment and I have joined a bird conservation group that takes care of birds that you know smash into windows or birds that fall out of nests that people pick up and bring to us so 
that I will be talking about more as I get into it, I'm sure, on the podcast as well. We saw a turtle and a muskrat earlier. That is not appropriate for a birding podcast. Oh, I'm so sorry. Actually, we didn't see those things. We only we did, <laughs> we did see a white heron, though. That's better. That's more cool. like it. I was just chill, waiting to catch a fish, and then it didn't catch a fish and flew away. Sometimes that's what life is like. You're waiting to catch a fish, and you don't catch a fish, and then freaking fly away. That's life. That's why I freaking don't like fishing. Oh, I hate fishing. Do you not like fishing? There are a few things, actually, that I dislike more than fishing. Is bowling on there? I can actually get down with bowling. I can get down with bowling occasionally, but most of the time, I'm like, God, I hate bowling. I just go up there and I throw the thing. And then if it's like, oh, you threw it with a little, like, angle on your wrist and you did the step back and you got to... I don't care. I do not freaking care. But I do like drinking in bowling alleys. I like that bowling alleys always still smell a little bit like cigarette smoke. Yeah, no matter what. It's like a life I never lived, but it's a part of me. So that's us. We would love to hear more about you. You can find us on Instagram at uh, at birdshitpodcast. And you can also send us an email, hellobirdshit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear more about what brought you to this podcast and what kinds of things you would like to see and hear from us. But since this is our first episode and we're new, you might be new. Everybody's new. Everybody's new. We're all new at something at some point in our lives. Um, But we, we really want to start this podcast to try to share how easy it is to get into birding and how cool of a sport. I don't know if it's a sport. It's a a sport. It's it's a hobby. You know, people don't like have hobbies anymore. Like people, people these days just like scroll on Instagram and like, that's their hobby. And there's a bigger world out there. Although there's probably some really cool birders on Instagram. Now that I say that. Yeah. We're on Instagram. Don't shit on Instagram. (laughs) I got our Instagram. (laughs) Oh yeah. Everything on Instagram sucks except for bird shit podcast, which doesn't even have a single photo posted yet. But it will. It's going to have birds on it soon. Yeah. So, you know, people like don't have hobbies anymore. And I realized like I didn't have a hobby. So now I have this hobby and we think you should have a hobby too. And we think it should be birding. Reason number one, anyone can do it. Birds are on every continent. So as long as you can look out the window, get outside, even listen, you can engage in birding activities for a very cheap and easy price. Which brings us to number two, which is that birding is a super cheap hobby. It's kind of like the running of the natural world in which, or like, yeah, it's like the running of naturalist observation, really. Like running, all you need to buy is like a pair of shoes and you can run. And with birding, all you really need is a pair of binoculars, um, which you can buy for about 100 bucks. And there's tons of free resources that you can get for your phone or even access online. Um, I, for one, I love the Merlin Bird ID that's put out by um, Cornell. And also their eBird app is incredibly useful for tracking birds while you're either on a birding walk or when you're with a group to just kind of um, be able to track the birds that you're seeing. And that information also gets kicked back to Cornell so they can kind of use that to help educate their programs and kind of gather more information about the birds around us. So speaking of learning, um, there are a ton of resources out there, but the learning curve for birding seems infinite. You make baby steps in progress that are easily obtainable 
and you can keep reaching new levels and gaining new skills, especially if you move outside of your local area and even within your local area. You can learn visual IDs like Mel mentioned in a lot of those apps and calls for specific species, plus male and female, how they differ in their looks and calls and the information about breeding and juvies. All right, so number four uh, is that birding can be either a group activity or a solo activity. So you can kind of fit the activity into however you want to interact with the world. I, for one, get joy out of both um, solo adventures (laughs) and uh, (laughs) also group activities, if you're into those kinds of things. Um, I went out with this birding group a few weekends ago that was led by... Uh, it was it was like led by a teenager and he knew so much about birds and I knew nothing about birds and I was just fascinated and there was also like a six-year-old there and I learned from him but then there were also people that were in their 60s and 70s and 50s and 40s and it's just really cool that um I've been able to use birding as a way to meet people that I don't normally meet in my everyday life but if I also need just like some time away I can just walk out in the woods with my binoculars and just see what I can see. So I think that leads really well into number five in the fact that it is a super inclusive and encouraging environment in the birding community. Um, It's definitely not exclusive and not competitive. So if you're in a situation where there's a rare or cool bird you want to see or you want to learn more about a bird, it's a very helpful environment. And people, other birders, generally will help you um, unless you're actually competing, which is a thing. Yeah, I actually recently heard about um, bird like bird watching fantasy leagues where you can like follow birders that go to specific areas and basically like try to determine like will they see these species or not if they see a rare bird like you get points i don't know it was on npr which is probably the most of our listener demographic as well but <laughs> when we get when we get them oh yeah they'll all listen to npr so number six is that birds are a huge indication of our planet's health By understanding and monitoring birds in our region, we can help scientists solve puzzles about climate change. So we can help them understand migration patterns and how many birds are there, if their quantities are increasing or decreasing. So being able to use an app like eBird and feeding that data to scientists can really help them understand changes that are happening in the world and how birds are reacting to them. Number seven. So speaking of observing birds, It's a really nice escape for you to do so when you live in an urban environment. So Mo and I, who are city dwellers, I am not always surrounded by greenness, but that doesn't matter because that bird's going to freaking make a nest in the target sign uh, or over the awning of my favorite coffee shop, and I'm still going to be able to enjoy that connection with nature. And it kind of brings me out of the fact that I am surrounded by a bunch of buildings, not necessarily great for the environment, but I'm still living in that area. So it's a huge reminder that you can observe the natural world in your backyard. So number eight is that more education around birds and the world around you can help you kind of understand how you can bring the birds that you really like to come into closer proximity with you and your environment. So by learning what different birds like and what times of year you might be able to see them, you can really kind of build your environment to attract those kinds of birds. I really like hummingbirds. I'm going to buy a hummingbird feeder. Here's where I should put it. Uh, Different flowers that you can grow in your garden to attract insects that different birds eat. So there's a lot you can learn to enhance the your own personal environment and bring the birds that you want to see or want to observe closer to you. And in addition, number nine, educating yourself on what birds you want to bring to your local area or your backyard. You can also educate yourself on limiting your impact in that 
against those birds. So for instance, housing setup, how you can make sure that birds aren't going to crash into your windows, um, because that's a huge concern, especially in urban areas. Um, if you're feeding them appropriate food, for instance, Mel mentioned hummingbirds, not using the red dye. In fact, just feeding them sugar water without the red dye is appropriate for them. And for instance, feeding ducks, uh, you shouldn't be feeding them bread because it can help pollute the environment. It's also not good for those animals. So it really will increase your education on how you can limit your impact, but also beneficially cohabitate with birds in your environment. And lastly, the number 10 reason why you should start birding as soon as this episode is over is that birding is basically just like real life Pokemon Go, where you can see so many different species and it's sort of an infinite number of of birds that you can see in the world and you can do you can travel to new places and kind of explore new birds there or you can see new birds when they migrate or understand the different microhabitats that that birds sort of occupy and how they are always coming and going and it's not just a world of spirits and pidgeys like there's more in the world you'll get your arcticuno <laughs> we do not encourage you trying to capture birds and train them no to fight each other that is not what we're saying only zapdos only Zapdos is the only Oh, one. my God. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that that lightning bird, when you come across it, <laughs> feel free to capture it. If you but... happen to find a legendary bird Pokemon in your birding adventures, you should call me immediately. I'll leave my number in the podcast notes. But I think this leads into a good discussion of our news updates about why you should not capture birds. Birds in the news. Birds in the news. Birds. 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 Birds, birds in, in the, the news. news. Okay. Um, we're going to have to work on that, um, is that a Florida man was recently killed by his pet southern cassowary he kept in his yard. So for those of you who don't know, Google image search a cassowary. They're a large flightless bird that is native to tropical rainforests in northeastern Australia. And they're rare as pets. Um, you would need a permit in Florida, which the man didn't have one, surprisingly. This is like the craziest thing to be like all you have you played have you done the Florida Man? Uh, yes. Google? Yeah. Yes. This is like the Google opposite, search. right? Like this is like the Florida man is actually the victim here. It's like he literally was killed by his by his pet bird that he wasn't even allowed to have. Okay, that is amazing, but also really bad because in captivity, cassowaries can be aggressive birds that do not live comfortably in close quarters with other animals because they live solitarily in the wild. And what's really important to know is they have giant freaking claws in a rock formation that is like a little fossil, keratin fossil, out of their forehead that is used to smash and like smash eggs, I assume. I really don't know what cassowaries eat. Maybe we should look that up. It's a raptor. It's a friggin', it's a friggin' velociraptor that this yeah. man had living in a cage. They keep adding more and more feathers to depictions of dinosaurs, so this is obviously what a raptor actually looked like. Yeah, yeah. And that man was not Chris Pratt, or he would not be dead. It's also why Chris Pratt would never live in Florida, because he would have a permit. You know I'm right. You just want to talk about Chris Pratt. I friggin' <laughs> love Chris Pratt. I'll talk about him all day. Can we change our podcast? To Chris Pratt Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> CPIP! Yes. Okay. The second article that we have to share with you about birds in the news is this article that Fast Company put out um, where they recently found that balloons are actually the deadliest plastic substance to birds. So this was a research study that was published in Nature Magazine. 
or just nature, but that's hard to say on audio because it is italicized, but like it's not Nature <laughs> Magazine, it's just nature. So just, anyways. Um, so researchers were looking at the stomachs of about 1,700 different seabirds and they were comparing birds that were killed by eating plastics versus other causes, so such as infant mortality or disease. And they found that while even though balloons only represent 2% of all the plastics that seabirds ingest, they are also responsible for 42% of plastic-related deaths for the birds who eat them. So basically what they discovered is that even though balloons aren't eaten as often, they lead to a higher uh, death rate because what happens is as the birds eat the balloons, the balloons react with the acid in their stomachs and they inflate and then they cause like this giant uh, blockage in the bird's stomach that they can't digest. So no one should be using balloons. That's the sad the sad ending to this story. Or if you are using a balloon, like I can't there I cannot think of a compostable balloon. I don't know. I don't would that even work? I just pictured, like, a leaf balloon. And, like, I don't know how that would work. You know, you know, but they, you know what they do in Shrek, though? They blow up those frogs. <laughs> I'm not even going to, I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> you I'm know not what even I'm responding. talking about. Yeah, yeah but I'm not going to be like, oh, okay, let's not use plastic so the birds are okay. Let's just <laughs> kill some frogs and blow them up. Yeah, the frogs were blinking, I think, in the clip. I'd have to rewatch it. Oh but my I, god, wait, they they stayed alive in the cartoon mode? Yeah, I mean... Wow, that's so realistic. That's so realistic. Everything I learned, I learned from Mike Myers and Shrek. No wonder you're the way you are. Um, but that actually is super disturbing, especially because balloons are such a short-term enjoyment. Yeah. I don't think it's something that's... Like, I think if you told everyone you're getting rid of balloons, I don't think anyone would feel like an overwhelming sadness. I don't think we should be the bearer of that news, though. I think we should let people find out. I for think themselves. no. I think we should tell everyone right now. I'm gonna let you quit own buying that. balloons. Yeah. Oh, I'll own that. I'm own that right now. Quit buying balloons. What about mylar? Quit. What about the what about the shiny ones? No. Oh. Balloons are no balloons. <laughs> I guess I'm having a hard time accepting this news for myself, despite the fact that I read the news article. <laughs> I still just can't. I can't bear a world without balloons. I think we should just, you know, especially water balloons. Don't use those. Yeah. yeah. No just balloons. get a super soaker. It's way easier. That's what everyone wants anyways. Everyone wants a super soaker. And then our last article that we have for you, um, people in Michigan, for those of you who aren't familiar with this state, love to hunt. Um, children go out of school in the fall to go and hunt deer and turkey. It's just a very hunting-friendly state. And now they are proposing legislation to allow people to hunt sandhill cranes. Many farmers are stating that the cranes are ruining crops. Um, but the DNR isn't really jiving with this proposition, as they say there are ways for farmers to combat crop damage, and currently the DNR doesn't have plans to allow this. However, I do find it very frustrating that this is being proposed as legislation, because my guess is a majority of people who would have the desire to hunt sandkill cranes are doing so to stuff the bird and put a pretty bird that has very visible red plumage, is gorgeous bird, in their living room next to their fireplace, right next to the deer head they have up. I wonder, you know the guy in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, who killed all those animals? I think it might have been the second one. It's whatever one that he went to to uh, to Africa in. But, like, I just, I just picture, like, that guy would have a sandhill crane in his house. 
Oh, heck yeah, he would. He would have, like, two on opposing sides of his little fireplace. Yeah, yeah. And I would have the same reaction as, as Jim Carrey in that one. So there you have it. We are Sarah and Mo, and we are so excited that you decided to join us here on Bird Shit Podcast. We will have new episodes coming out soon, and we hope that you will tune in and listen. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us at anything, you can reach us at hellobirdshit at gmail.com. That will be in the notes for the podcast that you can click on as well. You can also find us on Instagram at birdshitpodcast, and we're not into Twitter yet, which is funny because we have a bird podcast. For those listeners who might happen to be in Point Pele, Ontario, doing some birding on Memorial Day weekend, uh, hit us up on our Instagram or email. We will be there trying to capture as many bird species as possible, and we'd love to join other birders. May 26th and 27th. And don't forget to check out the podcast notes for different links to the Birds in the News articles that we shared and any other resources that you might find helpful. Until then, keep your eyes to the skies. What? I don't know. That's like a thing that I just decided to say. That's a thing you're saying. It is.